I am Gautam Kumra, Chairman of McKinsey Asia, and you are listening to the Future of Asia podcast series. The Asian century has begun. The region is now the world's largest economy. As Asia's economies evolve further, the region has the potential to fuel and shape the next normal. In each episode, we are going to feature conversations with leaders from across the region to discuss what Asia's rise means for businesses across the globe. Join us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to an episode of McKinsey Future of Asia podcast. My name is Bharat Satanathan, and I'm a partner based in McKinsey's Singapore office. Today, I have the utmost honor to speak with Gillian Tan, Chief Sustainability Officer of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, or MAS. As MAS's Assistant Managing Director of the Development and International Group, Gillian oversees the development of Singapore as an international financial center, as well as its sustainability strategies and international relations. Over the next half an hour, Gillian and I will be discussing a range of topics, starting with key takeaways from the transition finance towards net zero, scaling blended finance conference, an event organized by MAS in September 2022. And in that context, the need for a fundamental rethink of the public finance and changing roles of financial regulators. We also speak a little bit about Gillian's journey to becoming the Chief Sustainability Officer and the forward-looking agenda for MAS over the next year. Join us as we discuss how Asia can take tangible steps towards the net zero transition and the role of finance in enabling it. Gillian, very, very warm welcome to you. Really delighted to have you here and I must start with congratulating you for becoming the new Chief Sustainability Officer of MAS. But more importantly, you know, how did you find yourself in public policy? How did you arrive at MAS? Thanks very much, Bharat. Uh, glad to be here and chatting with you. I definitely got here via an unusual route. I'm legally trained and I actually worked in the Singapore government's legal service for more than a decade took on different roles. I was a justice's law clerk, deputy public prosecutor, district judge. So, you know, my scene, my day-to-day was civil procedure, murder cases, drug cases, sex crimes, visiting crime scenes. Uh, that's really how I started my career. Back in 2015, I joined MAS to head up its enforcement function. And about three and a half years ago, I, I moved into market development work. As head of the uh, development and international group, I work with my team to develop Singapore as an international financial centre. And I also oversee MAS's international relations and engagements. Now, the portfolio has always included developing Singapore's sustainable finance market and capabilities. So I've actually been working on sustainability work for, for some time. It's been wonderful working with MES's leadership and our teams on our sustainable finance strategies, some really from ground zero, and whether it's been about reaching out to you know, universities overseas to set up centres of excellence here, or uh, working with ASEAN counterparts on the ASEAN taxonomy. There's always lots to learn, and you know, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to continue to work in this space. That's a fabulous story and, and the path that you've taken and also the different roles and the engagements that you've done in MAS, you know, seems extremely impressive. Tell us a little bit about maybe what are some stuff that you are exceptionally proud of over the last maybe 12 or 24 months 
as a part of the market development team? Maybe three things that you're really proud of. I think a lot of things. Um, the financial sector is doing well. Growth has been good. You know, we just announced our five-year plan, the Financial Services uh, Industry Transformation Map 2025, and sustainability plays a key role there. So, you know, lots, lots to do on that front. I think on the sustainability front in particular, I mean, just kind of recency effect, right? I think I was just uh, reflecting on the recent conference, the Transition Finance to Net Zero conference that MAS hosted, and, you know, we're not really in the business of hosting conferences generally, I mean, of, of that sort of scale. But we thought really strongly about this. And, and what drove it was really a sense of urgency and an awareness that on a global scale, we absolutely need to do more and quickly. The truth of the matter is climate change is already happening around us. The number of severe weather events we're seeing in ASEAN you know, it's, it's phenomenal, right? I think in 2020, there were more than 400 disaster events in the region. And if you total up the damages, you're already talking about $200 million. And just this year alone, you know, with what's happening in South Korea, in Pakistan, you know, severe weather, flooding, leading to fatalities even, we really have our, our work cut out for us. At the same time, I think we're also very mindful of the broader context. And these are really challenging times globally. Given the stresses that the world is facing, you can understand how it might be tempting to postpone climate action until things settle down. But we also know that the cost of delay is going to make the adjustment that we have to make even sharper and even more abrupt. So, so we really cannot afford that delay so I think against this backdrop, it was important for us as the central bank, as the regulator that has a voice, to really highlight the huge transition that we have before us and the scale of the financing that will be required. It was wonderful to hear the data coming out of the McKinsey Global Institute, which tells us that you know globally we need US $9 trillion annually over the next 30 years if we're going to have a chance at reaching net zero. The figure speaks for itself. Governments cannot afford the scale of financing required. So, you know, we really need to find ways to crowd in private capital, whether that comes from financial institutions, from philanthropic sources. And we also need, at the end of the day, I think a really fundamental rethink and a reorientation of public finance. How do we work in partnership with philanthropic capital, with concessionary capital, and mobilize private investment on a scale that we've never seen before? I think we have seen good small-scale pilots here and there. That's been promising, but not at the scale we need. So the conference was really directed at that. It was about bringing stakeholders together to discuss what's needed for blended finance. And we want to do this regularly, probably annually, and have this be a sort of anchor event around which we have roundtables, we have technical deep dives, workshops, and specific practical collaborations that are executed throughout the year. So it's not just a talk shop. We actually want concrete deliverables to come out of this. 
it's been a good early start. We had 500 very senior leaders and distinguished guests from all over the ecosystem come in and be with us that day. We saw some key announcements coming out of the conference. MES is uh, supporting the launch of the Asia Climate Solutions Design Grant. We actually co-developed it with Convergence. On the GFAN side, the Asia-Pacific Network announced that it's working with MES and the Asian Development Bank to develop guidance for financial institutions to facilitate the managed phase-out of uh, high-emitting assets, which is very challenging work, but very important for the APEC region. It would be remiss of me to also not say how grateful we all are to McKinsey and you know, our other knowledge partners and other partners for helping us bring this conference into fruition. So you know, thank you, Bharat, to you and your team as well. No, thank you for the partnership, Jillian. And what an event it turned out to be. We never, at the beginning quite imagine the scale this could get to, but clearly uh, a lot of the things that you said really came to friction. Let me kind of double click on one or two notions that you spoke about, and particularly the framing around the fundamental rethink of uh, public finance and really the need to mobilize private finance together with public finance in the context of climate action. So tell us a little bit more about, as you saw the day pan out and as you were involved in many of these discussions, what were some of the key highlights and what were some of the most important messages from the day that you think participants took away and also for people who didn't attend uh, are most important themes for them to probably take inspiration from? That's a great question. I think there were so many messages that came through. Uh, to the right and left of me, people were furiously taking notes. I was as well. So that was really heartening to see. But if, you know, if I can try to just tease out some of the key messages, I think first is that the financing gap is significant. You know, I mentioned earlier that based on McKinsey's estimates, we're looking at $9 trillion a year that's needed for the next 30 years. And depending on what estimates we use on the amount of investment that already is you know, in the mix, we're looking at a financing gap of anything between 3 to $5 trillion a year. So, so that's a huge gap that you know, we, we will need to, to fill. So I think that's the, the starting point. But the other takeaway I had was that notwithstanding this massive challenge ahead of us, there's actually good reason to be optimistic. And we're starting to see very promising, I think, global developments that will help us uh, bridge that gap. So just to name a few, we mentioned during the conference, I think, the high-level advisory board on effective multilateralism. And this is looking at exploring reforms to the global financial architecture that will help channel more public and private financing to issues that relate to the global commons. And this would, you know, obviously include health, social needs, as well as climate change and, and sustainable development. So, so that's really promising. We also heard from Dr. Rania El-Mashad, and she gave us a sneak peek of the Sham al-Sheikh guidebook for just financing. And this is an operational guide for, you know, how we actually go about implementing a just transition. And I think this will probably provide very important and useful guidance for us on issues that perhaps have been neglected 
climate adaptation, uh, some practical guidance on blended finance. So, so you know, I, I look forward to seeing that released uh, in COP27 in, in just a few weeks' time. We also heard about GFAN's work. And as I mentioned earlier, the uh, GFAN's Asia-Pacific Network is developing guidance. They're going to work with us and with ADB on, on you know, how to actually facilitate uh, that transition, right, of managed phase out of core assets. It's, it's hugely important because the reality is that, you know, in Asia, we still have something like 5,000 operational coal plants and they're very young, right, in Asia. I think the average age is something between 11 to 13 years. So we've, they've got decades left of good life on them. So how do we retire these assets early and responsibly? Definitely, you know, it's good to know that GFANS is looking at it and that we'll have an Asian focus and an Asian lens to that work. So definitely some very early promising steps. But let's be honest, more work is definitely required. Uh, a few areas that struck me, I think, first of all, is we still lack bankable projects. This came up time and time again throughout the day. So we do need those you know, shovel-ready projects, right, in the pipeline. And they don't just pop up overnight organically. <laughs> There's a lot of work that needs to go in into, you know, preparing projects, uh, launching feasibility studies, looking at de-risking. So I think definitely the region has a lot of work uh, on that front. We will also need more donor support, I suspect, at, at the early stage. Again, right, project preparation, technical grants, uh, business incubation, all that sort of area is a little bit neglected, so more needs to be done there. And what was interesting throughout the day as well, uh, I don't know if you picked it up as well, Bharat, but calls for templates and more standardization across the board, you know, so that projects are replicable, uh, so that we create much broader pipeline of bankable projects at scale. So I kept hearing that theme, you know, give us more standardization, give us more templates, and this will really help accelerate investor familiarity in respect of such projects. I think the other big theme that came out and, you know, where work is, more, is much needed is on the risk side of things. So we heard from Professor Lord Nicholas Stern about the need to be really crystal clear about what risks you're worried about and what risks are at play. You know, are these currency risks? Are these project risks, political risks, credit risks, right? Because only when we, we're really targeted about what we're dealing with can we de-risk. Uh, the other big theme that came out was uh, the role that philanthropies and foundations need to, to play. They have a different risk absorption capacity they're, they're willing to come in where, you know, traditional financial returns may be on the low side, but the social returns are high. So they're a very interesting player that needs to come in when we blend risk. I personally would like to see uh, them getting involved more and us bringing them in uh, a lot more. And finally, these comments were, were coming largely from Senior Minister Taman you know, we really need to take a step back and look at how our financial ecosystem works, right? How do we make this work more synergistically? 
how do we integrate blended finance as a key objective that the global financial architecture achieves? And, and this is very broad eh, and challenging, right? And it really stems from the fact that there is so much capital out there that just isn't quite getting deployed where it needs to be. And hence, we have that gap. I think it's about an operating environment where there is strong regulation, where clarity is given to the market. And this could be in the form of standards, in the form of taxonomies, uh, just clear policy in the form of you know, carbon taxes and a forward-looking view as to you know, what the regulatory stance will be. And you know, underpinning all that, all this needs to be supported by good quality data how do we improve sustainability data and make it more accessible to everyone, uh, all investors, all governments, right? And then finally, and this is stretching a little bit, do we need to rethink how MDBs go about thinking about their role and how they do their work? Do they need to pivot towards you know, greater de-risking mechanisms, given the important role that de-risking will play? Should they place perhaps less emphasis on direct lending and more emphasis on risk mitigation uh, mechanisms? So, you know, just in the last five minutes or so, just <laughs> talking through some of the points that came up, um, you can imagine what kind of day it was and how much learning uh, there was arising out of it. For years, observers have talked about Asia's massive future potential. But the future arrived even faster than expected. The question is no longer how quickly Asia will rise, it is how Asia will lead. Keep listening to the Future of Asia podcast. Clearly a full plate. Sounds like a, a mega event that actually touched on every single aspect of what is required to get this engine moving and moving at a pace, as you outlined, that helps us to close the gap. And the gap is still quite large, quite substantial, uh, you know, as you put it. I, I just want to pick on one of those themes. Let me start with the one of the highlights for me of the day, which was the, the panel discussion with, uh, you know, Senior Minister Thurman, as well as, uh, you know, Dr. Rania, that was hosted by our very own uh, Sven Smith, uh, senior partner, who is a leader of our McKinsey Global Institute. And the thing that really stood out in that panel for me was almost a very provocative call to action that senior minister laid out uh, on really urging not just the MDBs and some of the other topics that you spoke about, but also financial regulators to really rethink their role and uh, rethink what they can do to stimulate the demand that is required, as well as a lot of the other uh, if you may, pain points that you put out around taxonomies, around data infrastructure, you know, whatnot. And, and if you allow me to connect this to earlier part of our conversation about MAS being very special in its own way, having the market development arm with the, with the regulatory arm, and we've spoken about this many times. Can you share some reflections around that core call to action from uh, Senior Minister Thurman? And how do you and MAS see that? It's been fairly well established for some time that the financial sector right, should play and can play uh, a significant role in our transition. I mean, at the simplest level, right, by uh, ceasing financing 
of carbon-intensive sectors, activities, and in facilitating financing for transition. So I think, you know, the, the financial sector's role is something we tend to focus on and is, is fairly well established. Now, if you think about that, given, given that, it's actually quite unsurprising that the role of financial sector regulators should come into the spotlight. So you regulate this key engine. What are you doing? What should you do? And, you know, it's not a new area for us. I think the focus of many regulatory conversations across the world has thus far been about mitigating financial stability risks um, and looking at the risks carried by financial institutions on their balance sheets, you know, through exposure to uh, real economy players and through to carbon-intensive uh, activities. And then on the Securities Commission side, uh, you've seen quite sharp focus on listed company disclosures, corporate disclosures. So, you know, these are not new areas for regulators. And to be fair, I think there has been good progress here. On the disclosures front, you know, I think the ISSB's work on delivering a global baseline uh, sustainability disclosure standard is an important deliverable. Uh, that will go a long way ensuring we have comparability, uh, we have sh ensuring we have good quality disclosure data. And then on the risk side, I mean, many regulators have stepped forward on the risk side, you know, whether it's about stress testing, environmental risk management guidelines. MES has issued uh, such guidelines, and we did that across, you know, banking, asset management, insurance. And we didn't just cover climate. Those were much broader. They looked at pollution, biodiversity issues, and, and so on, right? So there's definitely been good progress and increasing awareness on the part of the regulatory community. But the million-dollar question really is, should regulators do even more? And, you know, for example, should regulation be used to align incentives, uh, whether through risk weights or adjustments to capital standards, such that our financial institutions are incentivized and motivated to take even more significant action uh, in favour of the transition? Is there scope perhaps for green differentiated capital uh, requirements, right, that reduce the capital charge on green loans and increase the charge if the loans are for non-green, you know, areas, right? And... I think these are important questions. They need to be carefully considered. And it's complex, right? Because I think if you look at global conversations, a lot of times we, we tend to forget that some of the toolkits that people seize on and look at were actually designed for very different purposes, right? So is it appropriate, for example, to use a prudential risk tool to incentivize transition, they're completely different things, right? So these are not easy questions. They need to be thought through carefully. And even just moving away from the prudential risk angle, questions around should regulators require financial institutions to do more on transition plans? Should regulators scrutinize financial institutions' transition plans? Should regulators require financial institutions to scrutinize their clients' plans? Right? So these are, are very broad questions and, you know, they go beyond just sort of um, stewardship, right, into what actually happens 
when you put regulatory <laughs> pressure. On the MES front, we will certainly explore these questions. We will need to work very closely with our international regulatory colleagues on these issues so that a coherent, standardised approach is taken. And just to say, you know, I mean, financial institutions have raised these issues to us for some time. We're taken, you know, we've taken on board their, their feedback and we'll continue to study this carefully. I think, you know, if you ask me to predict what's going to happen and how this space will, will shape up, I think what we will look for at the end of the day are practical actions that we can take to incentivize action and also study how we can take a more targeted, differentiated approach that delivers the impact we want to see, meaning you know, it contributes clearly to uh, carbon emissions reductions over time while making sure that we minimise financial stability risks. And I think it's also about respecting the prudential tools that have served us well uh, over many years. So lots to do here, uh, but I think this will be an exciting space uh, to watch carefully. Indeed, I, I should agree about your last few words, certainly. And MA is leading the way in having these debates, asking these questions, and having a stance one way or the other will only help move the whole discussion in the right direction. So clearly, great sets of conversations to have. So thank you, Jillian, for, for double-clicking on some of them. Let's pick on another theme, particularly one of the other things that you just spoke about, practical actions, as well as needle-moving themes. And this has also been a quote of uh, MD Ravi from uh, sort of many months now, as he thinks about creating the right set of interventions to ensure that the, the right climate actions actually happen. One of the things that you did announce in the conference was this design window together with convergence. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Could you talk to us about the ambition and the plan to scale this, linking that to some of the challenges that you outlined earlier on in our discussion? So at, at the conference, MD Ravi uh, announced that we, MAS, will be injecting seed capital into a $5 million Asia Climate Solutions Design Grant. This will be hosted by Convergence. Uh, I think Convergence is a, is a name that's well known to most of us. They are truly a leader in the blended finance ecosystem. They've got a really strong track record of uh, supporting investable solutions, some of which have been you know, successfully scaled uh, in the market. I, I think they were also involved in the BlackRock Manage uh, CFP, the Climate Finance partnership. They supported, I think, one of the um, aspects of it in terms of the design and the coordination. So, you know, good track record. And we worked with them to co-design this design grant. And what this grant will do is provide funding for early stage feasibility studies, for proof of concept uh, work on innovative blended finance solutions. And we're looking at target sectors that have traditionally been underfunded. These are areas like nature-based solutions, uh, surprisingly clean energy access, sustainable transport and adaptation. Right? There's a lot of focus, as you know, on mitigation, less so on adaptation, even though in the region, in Southeast Asia, adaptation is actually really key. So again, in small initial funding, 5 million, but we do expect just with that alone that this facility will be a four-year window 
and should be able to fund maybe two to four solutions each year. And what we really hope is, you know, we kickstart these solutions, we give them a promising start, and, and then they scale and they draw in more capital from others uh, after there's uh, some degree of de-risking that's been done. Happy to say the market reception towards the announcement has been very, very uh, heartening. We've got several institutions that have stepped forward and indicated they're keen to co-seed the design grant and support the design grant in various ways. And, you know, we're hopeful, right, either that uh, we can increase the facility size or increase the scope or maybe even set up additional facilities. And, you know, while MES is injecting seed capital, I wouldn't focus so much on the injection of seed capital. I think more importantly, it signals our commitment to support blended finance in the region. There's so much more that needs to be done beyond seeding facilities. Just one area that I think came up again and again in the conference was the important role of philanthropy. Right? So I, I, as I mentioned earlier, they play that segment, that, you know, the, the philanthropy segment, plays a huge role in de-risking and in providing concessionary capital. So we really need to do more to bring players that can provide such capital into the picture. And actually, there are very good synergies with my broader portfolio, right? Because one of the issues we look at is wealth management, it's family offices, and that area has grown healthily in Singapore. And, you know, just from speaking with uh, the family offices, they're very keen to deploy more philanthropic capital towards causes in Singapore and in the region. I think it's just about sitting them down, raising awareness about the urgency of climate, raising awareness about how a small amount of concessionary capital can actually catalyze right, huge amounts of public and private sector funding. That is definitely a focus area for, for my team and I uh, in the next few months. This sounds amazing. I mean, there's not many regulators around the world. We should do something like this. But tell us a little bit about, you know, if you fast forward one year from now, let's say we are in 2023, this design window, where, where is this going? What, what would be a, a concrete action that MAS would expect? I hope first and foremost that we will be able to deploy the grants uh, across a good range of promising projects. So definitely looking forward to working with the Convergence team on, on that. What would be amazing in, in a year's sort of time frame is to see some of the early feasibility studies concluded, uh, maybe even have proof of concepts be executed, and to see whether this does indeed lead to you know, capital being drawn in. So I think you know, that's very important. And as I mentioned at the start, uh, we're not waiting for, you know, the conference next June <laughs> to uh, look at some of this, right? These are just anchor events. Uh, the real work happens in between, I think. And uh, we've had parties reach out and ask us to facilitate deep dives on a variety of issues that were discussed, including, right, some of this early stage funding and, and how that looks like, including bringing in more philanthropic capital, uh, so all that, we, we definitely want to, to work on that very closely over the next few months. To your own words, uh, I think this creates possibly more standardized approaches in certain areas that hopefully will bring in more investor confidence uh, and thereby 
allowing for more deployment of capital in this area. So, you know, clearly a great initiative. Thanks, Bharat. We, you know, we honestly couldn't have done it without the McKinsey team. So, you know, very grateful to yourselves and a number of other partners, including GFANS, for, for supporting us. And there's so much work to be done. So if we don't all work together, <laughs> we're not going to get anywhere. So that's been really helpful. Thank you. It's a great beginning. And on beginnings, you know, clearly this is not a, a one-off event. Uh, and you have mentioned this yourself. Is there a sneak peek that you can give us of what the event would be next year or what the next 12 months more broadly beyond the design window? What would it look like for MAS? What are your priorities? As I mentioned earlier, I think it's about keeping up that momentum that was ignited, if you like. Lots of folks came up to us after and said, hey, you know, we've, we stayed to the end, <laughs> first of all, because we've been working quietly in, in our own institutions, you know, in our own organisations, and we really need to, felt the need to connect with others who are working on similar projects, thinking through similar issues. So I think keeping that network together and, you know, actually working on projects together, whether it's the early stage funding or the managed phase out of co-limiting assets and how do we deal with hard to abate sectors, I, I think that will be another area. So, you know, on that, quite a few institutions and individuals came up to us after and said, this work that you're doing on the managed phase out is hugely important Guidance is needed. Some degree of policy air cover and clarity is needed, whether this comes in the form of you know, guidelines or a uh, transition taxonomy of some sort. This is really key. So I think you know, that will be another area around which partners will coalesce and we will work very closely with them and with GFANS and ADB and really anyone else that has an interest in this space to see what we can achieve over the next few months. And, you know, ideally, you ask for a sneak peek. I'm not going to give any, but I can tell you my hope, <laughs> which is that come June, uh, we will have made headway uh, on some of these issues, including providing greater, I guess, certainty or greater clarity around managed phase-out. Terrific, Jillian. I must only say we all are looking to MAS to set the standard on uh, how a path for transition could be laid out this is certainly not an easy topic. It certainly is not uh, something that can be solved by one individual or one, one institution. Uh, as you kind of clearly laid out, it's an ecosystem approach that is required here to make this happen. And, and this phase-outs is at the heart of initiating this journey. And of course, there's a lot more to do beyond uh, you know, decommissioning into other areas that certainly deserves uh, a lot of financial focus. Jillian, thank you very much for spending your afternoon with us and discussing the Blended Finance Conference as well as uh, your priorities for the, the next few months ahead. Thanks, Baraz. Great speaking with you. Thank you for listening to McKinsey Future of Asia podcast. I am Bharat Satanathan. To hear more from global experts on the net zero transition, visit our Shapers of Sustainability page on mckinsey.com slash futureofasia.com.